been a very simple wedding in Mary's house. Afterwards, Joseph, arm around his bride, led her down the long and muddy street and proudly through the open door to his home. From their first moment alone together, they knew perfect companionship. Theirs was a marriage based on the yearning of soul for soul unbound to the earth. They were profoundly in love so that they felt closer than any union possible to mere bodies, knowing a richness of delight that lay beyond the reach of flesh. Joseph watched over his young wife with ever-deepening and guardian concern, and Mary, with unresting love for Joseph, cooked his meals and scrubbed and mended his clothes, never tiring of keeping that little house and shop shining and clean. They worked all day. They visited with Jehoiakim and Anna and neighbors and friends in the evening. At first, they went on a few outings with friends. To the town, they seemed a normal and ordinary couple. But when they were together, they often talked of the wonder that had altered their lives. How very curious, Joseph sometimes found himself thinking. While all Israel was in trouble, the people hoping and praying for a promised deliverer, Mary was carrying in her womb a miraculous child. Ah, if it should really be so. Mary. God will show, she whispered, hushed and scared. We must wait. Only that afternoon, new tales had come from Jerusalem of the scheming of Herod to lay new taxes on the backs of the people. How can we pay? A traveler railed. We are starving already. A herdsman and lambs. Our herdsmen tend lambs that they cannot eat. We are all undernourished. More now, this Arab king is thinking about. How had he heard about Herod's secret plans? The traveler winked at Mary and Joseph. The workers of the revolution had ways of finding out everything that was going on. Their spies scrubbed and dusted in the very bedchamber of Herod and his wives. Watch and see. And then this same traveler told of how he had visited recently with Elizabeth and Zechariah. He gave a great account of their little son John. That was the strongest boy baby he had ever seen. His little hands had incredible strength, and he could already walk long before his time. But so far, John had not uttered a word. Not long afterward, Joseph learned that this visitor had known what he was talking about. The news came just when Joseph had begun to worry about Mary's condition. 
The village midwife and Anna both agreed that the time was not far off for her child to be born. And Joseph was insisting that Mary must not do any more housework. She must lie down a great deal and rest. He had all a young husband's terror of the first ordeal of motherhood and he had all the care of a loving husband. It was then that the word spread through every street in Nazareth of a new fiat from Rome. There was to be an empire-wide census. The word had an ominous sound in Israel. The people had an ancient, almost superstitious aversion to being counted. But the orders for this colossal undertaking came down straight from the emperor himself, an imperial command from Augustus Caesar. Every one of his subjects was to be numbered. And for what? asked the little dryer in his shop down the street from Joseph. Why? Because they are going to increase the taxes and no one must get out of paying. Get out of paying? Joseph laughed. You could get out of the world quicker than that. The Romans, by their land tax, took one-tenth of every man's corn and two-tenths of his grapes. And then there was the poll tax, one percent from everybody, and all the other taxes, now more. Soon the news was blazoned and proclaimed throughout all the provinces. Jerusalem, it seemed, had been ignored in making the arrangements. Caesar Augustus did not trust his puppet, Herod. From the throne, the word came that the people of Israel were to be counted as an all-Palestine group under the management of the ranking emissary in the area, Cyrenus, the governor of Syria. And Cyrenus had already announced stern penalties for any person living in Palestine who did not obey this positive and authoritative command. The most disturbing fact to Joseph was that it meant a long journey for him when he felt he was needed at Mary's side. To remain in Nazareth and to be counted was impossible because under the ruling, each person must be registered in the city headquarters of the tribe to which he belonged. For Joseph, that meant he must go all the way down to Bethlehem. He thought that maybe only himself had to go because his wife is heavily pregnant and could deliver a baby any day. But he was rudely surprised when one of the elders of the Nazareth synagogue said, Not only you must go, your, ma- sorry, your wife must also go to her rightful quarters to be counted. Your, your wife must go too. Joseph's incredulous look was full of sudden fear. How can Mary go, he protested. Don't you know she is going to have a baby any day? 
What do Romans care about Jewish wives or babies? The elder returned with a shrug. He did agree at Joseph's urgings to make an appeal to see if an exception could be made in this case. The answer came back swift and certain, no. So Mary must also go with Joseph to Bethlehem to be counted. They must leave at once to be in Bethlehem on the appointed day. Bewildered at such inhumanity and injustice, Joseph scarcely heard the clamor of talk around him. In the synagogue, there was sorrow in many a heart. We were counted once by Moses. Why should we be counted again? They asked. Not much logic in the question, but no one was feeling logical. They were thinking with their nerves, with their emotions, above all with the galling sense of power exerted by the empire's force upon them. Later, Joseph talked long with Mary about it. He reminded her how, in the second year after the flight from Egypt, Moses had mustered the tribes, all except the priestly caste of Levi, who were exempted from military service and taxes. From then on, according to those tribal divisions set up by Moses, their ancestors had marched pitched the tents and made their offerings. And ever since the branches of family trees had been faithfully preserved in or out of captivity under generals, kings, and judges, some records in the Nazareth synagogue and the family traditions made it clear that both Joseph and Mary must go to Bethlehem because that was David's city, and they were both of the house of David. Why should it have to be so, demanded Joseph, who was profoundly shaken by the danger to his young wife. Our priests have their own way of arriving at these things, and it is good enough. When they want to count, they have only to add up the Passover lambs and multiply by ten. And why by ten, Joseph asked Mary, delighted as always with his knowledge. Because from ten to twelve persons may eat a Passover lamb. Then we have to make an allowance for the lepers and the other unclean outcasts. But we know pretty accurately how many of us there are. This journey to Bethlehem. Oh, Mary, said Joseph, I am afraid. But Mary smiled confidently. Joseph, my beloved, she said, remember what the angel said to me. Do not be afraid, Mary, he quoted. And what did he say to you in that dream you had? The very same words, do not be afraid, Joseph. Then we should not be afraid, said Mary. And there is something else. I have been listening to the scriptures in the synagogue. The rabbi does not know how eagerly, Joseph. There are prophecies. About the Messiah, Mary, asked Joseph. Yes, replied Mary, that he was to be born in Bethlehem. Had you forgotten, Joseph? Joseph gasped. No, Mary, I had not forgotten. It confounds me now to realize. 
Mary comforted him. Should we be afraid, Joseph? Looking at her smile, her placating smile and her confidence in God, Joseph relaxed his tensed muscles. He replied, "No, Mary, my beloved, we shall go to Bethlehem." The next morning, they began their journey.